Right, ladies and gentlemen, you tuned in to the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Luck Show coming at you from Santa Monica Youth Center in the lovely city of Santa Monica. Sitting on my right is my co-host and partner, is Chumahan Bowen, American Indian, elegant barbarian, Southern Californian, here to fuck shit up once again. That's right. And on sound. Old Blue Eyes. Sean Lewis, certified audio professional engineer for the Hard Luck Show. And our showrunner extraordinaire, Schwartz. Yes, sir. That's right. Wow, that love that <laughs> fucking energy, Schwartz. Real good energy there, buddy. Guys, I want to bring on a guest, a very, very old, dear, dear friend of mine. When I was young. And I've been trying to get this gentleman on the show since I started this, man. You guys, let's welcome my dear friend, Doug White, to the show. Yeah, brother. Welcome to the show, Doug. What's up, gentlemen? Thank you for coming in today, man. Thanks for uh, uh, making some time, Doug. How you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Just... Working, sitting in the office, the studio, banging away like always. Are you are you in AZ? Where are you at right uh, now? No, right now I'm not. I'm back in North Carolina in Raleigh. Okay. Just outside of Raleigh. Raleigh. Yeah. Raleigh, North Carolina. That's big tobacco country, isn't it? I guess so. I haven't been here. I've been here for close to a year now, and I really haven't tried to venture out, man. I'm scared. I want to go back to LA. What's what's <laughs> scary about Raleigh? Is it you? Um, it just—it's a different environment out here. I mean, it's—it's it's kind of East Coast, but it's not. It's got its own set of people, I guess. So I'm just trying to get acclimated to the school system for the the kids and the people. But my wife's from here originally. That's how I ended up here, out of LA. Mm-hmm. So she has a very, you know, very cool family. What do they eat out there, brother? Like, I mean, seriously, if you want to fuck it up in Raleigh, what are you eating? Barbecue? <laughs> um, pretty much barbecue. Yeah, barbecue is different. It's not like barbecue, like McDonald's barbecue sauce. Or <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like McRib. It's real like barbecue. Pork, pork pulled. Yeah. Like they have their own sweet sauce out here. It's a lot different. Right on, man. All right. Well, so then, how yeah. did how did you guys know each other? I, I, I mean, I, I I almost feel like I almost feel. I mean, I've tentatively let my partners know a little bit of what's going on, but I almost feel like. I almost feel like Chumahan, maybe you're going to drive this interview because All right. you kind of stand outside of it. I'm almost kind of intimate with it with Doug, so it's almost better. I'm just support me and Doug know each other um, uh, for a long, long time. And when I talk about my my youth and turning into like adulthood and my experimentation ages and late junior high into high school and underground and Hollywood and experiment, like all that stuff that really molded who I am um, was all going on at a certain time in a certain place in Los Angeles. And Doug was really part of that. So it was a step on. And it was really like this big, it was like teenagers discovering nightlife and way too young. And um, that exploration into adulthood um doug was part of that man it was uh it was the 80s and it was clubs that were cracking off in los angeles and we were all underage going to these clubs and it's kind of like a lot a lot came from that wouldn't you say doug yeah um you want me to go into the story yeah, well, yeah, yeah. well well how old were you doug when you met steve 14 i think or 13 um <laughs> I think I met Esteban first. Yes, you did. Was, and he was, man, he was a little bit older than me, but Esteban is a trip. He's just like lucky. They were one of the guys from the west side of LA that I knew that wore Converse and khakis with a crease. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this, was, this was back in 84 or 83, 84, before, you know, 
I guess Fun Boy 3 came out with mm -hmm. your Boy George. So mm -hmm. that was one style. Then there was the West Side Venice style that these guys were just original, and I kind of took to them. My hey. dad raised kind of hardcore. So Wait a I second. So it. where were you living at? Were you on the West Side too, Doug? I was in Palisades at the time. I was born and raised in Beverly Hills. I had it kind of rough. Um, <laughs> broke up, ended up on the street. So, you know, between Venice and Santa Monica and Palisades, I was just kind of roaming all over that side of town. Um, wait a second. Like, so wait a second. I don't understand. Because at first when you say Palisades and Beverly Hills, everybody thinks you had a silver spoon. But then you're also saying that you were living on the streets. How did that happen? It was tough. I, my, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood in Beverly Hills off Belmont, so it wasn't like I was the older kids like Polly Shore and the whole rich kid set from, from Beverly High School was there. But, mm -hmm. you know, we my dad was a little different. You know, we had pot farms in our backyard and hydroponic labs and offshore racing boats, and mm -hmm. it was just fun, you know. So I, I'm not going to say that, you know, I didn't have a good. It was just a different type of good. And then when that <laughs> fell apart, my mom and dad broke up. Honestly, I had nowhere to go. My mom went with her parents. My dad went with his partners. And then next thing you know, I was just living at friends' couches. And How old were you when you were doing that? 13, I think, just, just before I turned 14. How does that and, happen? Uh, How does it happen that the parents break up and they're like, well, the kids, whatever? That, you know, a lot of people, I'm not going to talk about it, about my mom or dad. My, mo my mom passed last year. My dad mm. knows what he did. I think drugs come into a hard play with that whole scenario. Got it. You know, I don't think my parents were grown up enough to have children and stick in there with them. And now that I have children, I've been through children, I understand that. I mean, it gets tough. But at the same time, um, I found my friends on the street, you know, in Hollywood or Odyssey nightclub where Esteban and I used to go lucky i'm sure been there many and, and let me and let me interrupt you by saying this is that when he's talking about being this age and running around on the street yeah right, in coming in contact with doug white esteban whether it be damon roulette like all the kids that were running around we all had a home to go to bro everybody was very clear that doug was just running his own show as a kid like everybody knew this kid doug had nowhere to go like nobody's watching him he's pretty much running and doing what he wants go on doug so you know people try to help me i lived with Polly shore for a while his mom mitzi took me in that kind of didn't work out but hold on you know, one, after, hold on one second that's kind of crazy what you just said you lived with Polly shore and mitzi yeah I lived on the other side of his fish aquarium in his bedroom, so I looked through the fish aquarium. There was Polly over there. And, uh, was he doing that weasel shit then? Was <laughs> yeah, he, like, like, chilling with the yeah, weasel? That, he was already weird. Like, he'd, he'd grab your ear all the time, and it's just Polly. He was like... <laughs> and this like was at 14? This was at 14? Yeah, yep. and I think he felt bad for me, so... And Peter Shore did, too, and the rest of the family. So they just... One morning, you know, he's like, you're staying with me. And I woke up, and there's Mitzi going... Duh, he's this kid. <laughs> Duh, he lives with us. She's like, okay. So it wasn't like, you know, kick him out on the street. But after a while, I just felt like I didn't belong there. I missed my parents like any kid. I mean, I used to be an all-star baseball player in the Beverly Hills Baseball League and, and football. And all of a sudden, that went away. And then the parents went away. And then things just started unfolding. What What position did you play in baseball? Um, shortstop and catcher, sometimes pitcher. But I was a badass shortstop <laughs> i stop everything so this is yeah, all around 13 yeah, yeah. and 14 and 15 and stuff right i was like 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 and 14 that's when all my life took another direction which i'll get into in a minute but mm -hmm. you know that's beverly hills baseball league rangers yankees Oilers, how, all that stuff how does it now you oh, said love that, that stuff love those yeah, stories man yeah. you said that you that were was a great time in my life yeah, yeah. yeah all-star every year so it wasn't like it was me freedy and some other people that you know, Sean Kehoe. We yeah, and I remember, I remember, I mean, this is like Flippers, this is like La Cienega Park. I remember yeah, all man. that, bro. Yeah, go on. Well, the question I really have, though, is I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, at one point, you're, as as a kid, kind of, you're living kind of like the, the high life in the sense of all-stars, you know, sports, community, and all this stuff. And then it sounds almost like a, the, the flip of a switch everything's coming away from you. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. when you're 13 and 14, how do you emotionally feel? And how are you figuring out, like, you got to cope? And what do you take all this to mean? I still kept going. I mean, I skated pro-am, 
Marina Del Rey skate park. I don't know if you knew about that back then. But, like, I grew up with Christian Asoy, too. We were skating garages as a kid. I mean, that whole scene was just, it was so exciting that I didn't have time, even if I had to go sleep on a friend's couch, just to get back in it and go tour, you know, live as a kid. I, You know, you're in shock. You don't really know that what's going on. But, you know, it was even harder for me to absorb when my mom left and live with her parents. They were like, we have no room for you. So I found myself at Santa Monica Pier on many a nights, sleeping on a bench going, this kind of sucks, you know. It's like you don't—I don't know how to take it in. Um, when you're, I when you, when yeah, I I take that. I mean, my mom uh, abandoned me mo- my entire life. Didn't have any relationship with her. Sean's mom abandoned him, <clears throat> and so I can tell you from my own experience. Like I always think about that, and I think you're right. As a kid, you're immature, so you're not like coping necessarily. But at least for me, I can say like there was a part of me that was like, "Fuck this world," then. Fuck it. Yeah. You can't trust shit. Well, I, 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 I built up a shield towards adults. And then this one adult who was part owner and I guess the Odyssey nightclub. And he was a drug dealer, prominent, I guess, back in the 80s. His name was Lawrence Benjamin. He had come into my life said, you know, you're going through a hard time. I totally understand. And I didn't know much about him. I think a girlfriend of my time introduced me to him. And she set that up. Right. Um, and they started, he gave me money. So I was delivering cocaine to all the celebrities in Beverly Hills on a little GPZ motorcycle he bought me. And finally, you know, the people that I was delivering to who owned a picture frame company who was importing and exporting all the coke were my neighbors that I grew up with on Elmont Drive, the Robertsons. So they saw me like, what the fuck is going on? Don't you know who that guy is? And that guy, LB, told me he would never touch me. He would never, you know, do anything to me. He, I was different. I was special. You know, here's his money. Next thing you know, you know, I'm rolling. Right. And I think Polly saw that. He's like, what are you doing? What are you involved in? It's not good. Everyone said it's not good. Um, Esteban, my homie Steve, I was like, dog, <laughs> we got to watch you. Right. Um, and, and I and, think Esteban was pretty close to me at the time. We used yes, to my mom right. was Esteban. Was Esteban kind of yeah. like your older brother? Yeah, we would steal my mom's Corvette. She had like this '84 <laughs> black T top, and me and Esteban would roll up at Odyssey, and he would get out. He, he was he was stupid man. Did Esteban? <laughs> Did Esteban? He, was, he was my big bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't even imagine that because I know Esteban, but I can't imagine what Esteban would have been like rolling up in a fucking black Dude, Corvette. He's a cool motherfucker. The chicks flocked to him. Yeah, he bro. I was like. <laughs> Still to this crazy. day, still to this day, that guy, bro, he's got some fucking, assassin. he is, bro. He really was that guy. Okay. Was, yeah. And what was it so, like, what was Steve like back then? Because I see Steve now as kind of like, you know, the seasoned, you know, player extraordinaire, businessman. I didn't know him as a young guy. What was he like back then? He's different now in the sense that yeah. he has this shell around him, but he's still my homie you know, inside, like he's a big kid. Yeah. And if you, if you know him, he'll pull that shit on you like real quick. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Hey, did you, you know guys... he's still there. Like, yeah, yeah. But he was always a smart ass. He always Were you? No, no. pranks on people. Esteban. I mean, oh. yeah. 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 One day we were at a Malibu store and Sean Penn was looking at the cheese over counter and he walked by and, you know, just kind of put his head down and rolled into him, knocked him all over the cheese. <laughs> that's how he was and I'm Sean Penn like he's little he's just laying there on the cheese <laughs> was that, he's looking at me and I'm like I can't believe you just fucking did that was that before was. was that before or after Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah. after, after. dude think about he that just didn't, yeah. he didn't Sean, give a fuck Sean Penn Sean Penn was huge after Fast Times at Ridgemont High he because huge. he played Spicoli yeah. that's like one of the greatest yeah. characters of yeah. all time this is when he was with Madonna so this was even later oh Wow. Right, right, right. Wow, that was right, a crazy right, time. He's right, never right. grown up. He's just been, he just doesn't, he's real, and that's why I love him. You know, right, uh, right. What about what about Steve? Did you and Steve ever have to duke it out with him? What's the best fight you ever got in with Steve? <laughs> he, we used to box a lot at Mickey Ward's gym. Um, he didn't want to box with me. He ran from me. <laughs> he did not want to go fucking toe-to-toe with me, and he kept his distance because I boxed A.B. up. I was, no, I was you're talking about Esteban. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm talking about oh, a big Lucky? Lux. Yeah. I wouldn't fight with Lucky. Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. 
No, but have you guys ever? Like, it's solid. It would hurt myself hitting them. So. I right. think we got. I think we got into. I think we got into some shit at some nightclubs where we fucking. Yeah, but you you were on like. I'm not gonna say it on the radio. <laughs> yeah, you're out. You're out there. Dog. Yeah, were yeah. you out there, dog? I guess I was. Well, all yeah. right. A little marching powder. Or mm, all those sorts of crazy <laughs> shit. Yeah. I want to incriminate him. Yeah. No. 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 Go on. But no, he was. I had mutual respect for Lucky my whole life because he, he was solid. He's not like a lot of people. I mean, we've all been through our ups and downs, but you know, once again, it's just a different breed. You know, for not being locked up or going down he just had that brotherhood you know respect and i like that in people like right what's the craziest party night you and big lux had Did you guys ever have like one crazy one you woke up in vegas and didn't know how you got there <laughs> i think it was, it was a- downtown at my friend chris Zerga's factory oh yeah there was a couple crazy I, nights down yeah there, he was dude. just crawling on the floor and he couldn't i couldn't move either <laughs> We were smoking Sherman shit down there and shit. And yeah, he, I almost jumped off of a nightclub after our balcony onto a telephone pole, slid down, and he's like, Doug, don't do it. He just grabbed And it was just, it was, and I think I was at USC at the time or how Fuck, so Yeah. Yeah. What, what these guys, I was in this other world when I was at college, and they were. It's it's so hard to explain. It was just. What yeah, were, but, but, but your life, dude, is like that, bro. Like the fact yeah, that you were even at USC, like how did you get into USC? Well, you had to back up to get to that. What do you mean? Why? All right, well, here my story is kind of like Rudy, and that's what I'm getting to. So, mm-hmm. but what happened was is Paulie and I, he's like, you can't hang out with this guy, and we got in an argument. LB, he, right? Yeah, I was on the street again. So this guy had like drugged me. He said, you know, he never touched me, but he drugged me, knocked me out, and this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And I just said, that's it. You know what I'm saying? It's, I wasn't raised that way. It wasn't going to happen to me. And it's hard to talk about, but, you know, stuff went down. So I went to my dad's house. A week later, I called one of my friends to take me back over there. This guy started threatening me, and I took a, a 9 millimeter and went and blew his head off. Um, and I don't say that lightly, you know. I no, of course head. not. Yeah. Twice, because... He used to molest children for a living. He had done 10 years in prison for molesting children. He played mind games with them. He was a drug dealer. This is LB? Yeah, he'd been in prison for 10 years for molesting children. How he ever made it, I don't know. But all this stuff came out in the trials. And the next thing you know, I was on trial for first-degree murder, which later on got handed down as a first-degree murder, 27 years to life. Hold on so, a second. Hold on. Let's slow down. Let's so I was down taken off the streets. So I was put in the California Youth Authority. Um, Esteban used to come see me in Norwalk. Um, Before we get to that, how old were you when this event occurred? I was 14 at the time. Okay. And so you're assaulted by an adult, essentially, correct? Yes. All right. And this adult is not a good person at all because he's assaulting lots of kids, right? Yeah, he played mind games on him and Right. Some full of drugs, and there you have it. That's who he was. And so, in some sense, it's kind of crazy because, in some sense, this is an act of self-defense on one level. I would say, I would argue. I'm an attorney, so I would argue, right? Uh, on some level, this is an act of self-defense, even though the so-called act has is done. You're still within the sphere of vulnerability and or whatever else this guy wants to do, in a sense, if he's got friends and cohorts. So I would think for a 14-year-old, you would have a pretty strong case for saying, yeah, this was self-defense. Or or it's a, um, a manslaughter thing that's got mitigation involved to heed a crime of passion. Man, and I that you're thinking. <laughs> if, if reality were really like that, I mean, you sound like a great attorney on all cases, but well, I'll we... tell you in, in, in at Pepperdine, one of the defenses for murder, like for instance, if a husband comes in and catches his wife cheating on him and he kills one of the people and it becomes a crime of passion, he's going to get way less time because the right. jurors and everybody's going to understand like, yeah, he was kind of out of his mind when he did it. So I don't understand right. why they wouldn't extend that same theory to you. Do you have any clue as to what went on legally for you? Well, for starters, I, Richard Hirsch was my attorney at the time. He cost a lot of money. My family really wow. went. He was on one of the OJ trials, too, as far as an assistant attorney, whatever he was. 
he was pretty prominent in LA. And the way he went about it was a, the judge at the end of the day said, I had the gun with me. So it was premeditated period. Whether this guy abused me or played mind games or threatened me or whatever he did, did not come into play because a, I was a juvenile. They would not try me as an adult. I was 14 years old mm-hmm. and I had to sit there and not say one word. So if it was a mm-hmm. trial, they'd be like, give the kid a award, get out. You're done. Why? You know? Right. But, because I was a juvenile, they stipulated the simple fact that none of the stuff was admissible. So my attorney went up there with detectives and half the LA police force, with police force, which my dad thought, you know, we're getting paid off or were clients of LB's because they found, I think, 20 kilos of cocaine in the outside ventilation system. They found 10 boxes of filled pornography of molested children this guy had been molesting over the years i gotta believe that i have to believe and 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 you tell me uh doug if if you think this is correct but i happen to believe that based on everything that i've been reading about (laughs) laurel canyon and all the other shit that actually there's a huge pedophilia ring that goes on in la and it's king of that i mean everyone knew this guy right and so what happens is is that and it, what you're saying is it probably didn't go away with just that guy. And what I'm also saying is, is that when you have a pedophile drug dealer mm-hmm. supplying everyone with drugs and or the material, uh-huh. you have blackmail material right. that you can use against whomever you need to use it against. Right. Right. And all of yeah. this stuff works together. And you know what's fucked up is that a 14-year-old who doesn't have any protection. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to speak poorly of, of the, the dead or of your parents, but I'm just saying this. You're out on your own. And you're out on your own, and then you're assaulted, and then you defend yourself, and then you're the one that pays the price. Not these adults, not the sheriffs, not the adults, not all these fuck faces. It's kind of uh, insane. Right. Yeah, it was on the news. I mean, I wasn't one of the billionaires boy club kind of stories, but it was pretty big and mm-hmm. prominent at the time. Yeah. I think less than zero had just come out. So, mm-hmm. you know, right after that. So there was, it was that type of thing theme within LA that drugs were involved where they thought that I was not just necessarily a lost case and trust me they try to bring in therapists and psychologists to analyze this whole thing and say <laughs> that I was abused but the simple fact was it happened one time I did take the, the gun I have to own up to, to my responsibility and that he just met the wrong motherfucker right yeah. someone play head games on me and screw me up like that the way I was raised I was like this dude's got to go so I did I did the due diligence, but no matter how you want to skin a cat, if they would have said he's free, they weren't going to let me go for the simple fact of what my parents did to me, what LB did to me. There was people threatening my life out there who were connected with this guy. Um, I was hearing all the time getting death threat letters about all these kids that wanted to come off me. They went to Beverly Hills High School to find me. I mean, it was like... It was a crazy story, the fact that the judge really just wanted to protect me and get me three meals a day in a cot and get me out of L.A. and send me to the California Youth Authority um, and do it like that and get me therapy because, you know, I'm glad I kind of grew up in there. I hate to say it, but for seven years, which I did, I didn't do the 27 years of life. I got out on good behavior. Um, I was working out every day. I was benching a lot. By the time I was 18, you know, my dad wasn't screaming at me or beating me up anymore my my mom they felt bad they brought him back together they came to see me all the time um i remember esteban came saw me and he said bring me bring me some clothes so i brought him our state issued clothes with some boots and i think he started joker brand off that stuff so <laughs> i'm not going to give him credit for it he got that stuff from me yeah you know what i'm saying so i i really think you know i took the bad when they locked me down they said okay 27 years of life bang you're gone and imagine as a kid at 14, you're like, okay, what the fuck does that mean? Right. Right. You know, what happened to this beautiful Beverly Hills life I had? And literally, now I'm going to go, here's a skinny white kid from Beverly Hills. Now I'm going to have to get down with everybody. With everyone. Huh? Blood, Southsiders, you name it. And the cool thing was, is I, did, I went in there not as some white boy, like, claiming you know, white pride or whatever. I was a break dancer from LA or Hollywood or wherever you want to call it. Right. Who went in there just being dug and rolling with everybody. And Did you have like, even wait a minute. This is hard because I catch shit from all sides, you know? Um, so it took a long time for me to integrate into the system and become a leader and get big. 
and you know throw up a bunch of weight and hold my own so how do you how do you earn your credibility or stripes while you're in there i mean why don't you tell us like what you went through like did you have to do some fighting did you have to take some beatings i I fought everybody because at first you know i was hanging out with some you know dudes from la that were crips and south siders and essays i didn't I didn't understand the whole integration of white pride against, you know, what my beliefs are. I mean, I, I'm half Jewish and mm-hmm. Scottish, so I'm like, fuck this shit. Right. So I ended up fighting with half the the white guys in there, which I'm white. So when that day room splits and you're fucking, you ain't white, you're fucked. You know, it, it got it got pretty hardcore. Right. Um. So I'm just gonna say it was it was not easy for me to hold my own, and in some respects, when I got older and went to the older institutions, it, you know, you play the game, dude, or you're, you're gonna go down. Mm-hmm. And I met a lot of cool people in there from from both sides, and I think I was pretty much cool with everybody. But I'm just glad I didn't go on to prison and have to really choose that side because I really don't appreciate, you know, what that mental institution stuff comes with. It's How- not pretty. How did it feel for you to see your parents come together now that you were in this situation and start really trying to figure out how to lend a hand to you? Did that, how did you feel? Um, uh, too late. I mean, I think it was too late, but I love them to death. You know, I, I, when I got out, when I was 21, I went to live with my mom and she had a place in Palisades looking over Topanga you know, and Gladstone. So I grew I got up surfing every day and just kind of in shell shock, like coming home after the war, you know, mm-hmm. not that I've been in war, but it would be like that. <laughs> I was right. Right. Um, but I had goals when I was locked up. I said, I'm not like that. And so did my other counselors. They said, this shouldn't happen to you. And they helped me to get out early. And I had a, um, I was applying to universities when I was locked up. So I had applied to, USC and they said you got to get your GPA up a little so I graduated with a 388 in high school and then went to Santa Monica City College got a 4.0 got in transfer into USC um, walked on the football team practiced for a little bit and then they came back and said you can't play anymore because I had started a college program when I was locked up at Ventura Community College and then that's when my stint started so the NCAA said nope got to go so I appealed it to them couldn't suit up, but eventually had to go. But, you know, I had this life where, you know, I just got out of jail after life and I'm a freaking Trojan dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It was just a different feeling. And I was in a Greek row God system there, which means I was a Sigma Chi in the Sigma Chi fraternity. And they made me a Greek row God, which was like one of the, the good looking guys, I guess, in studs. So I, <laughs> I made that for my high school in there. Were you? What position would you have played on the USC football Trojan team? What position? I was going for quarterback. No shit. Yeah. Nice. And at the time, it was Todd Marinovich. Or That's what I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. So I was saying, I don't think I... Marinovich. Marinovich had a good through his dad. Yes. He might not think yeah. so, but he was already grafted into the system. Yes, like, yeah. yes. Guy right, coming right, up. Right, right. You know how that is. And I do that with my son now, and he plays quarterback, so... <laughs> We're going to... You know, I, I want to jump in and I want to say that Doug entered into this system so early on. And I remember Estevan sharing photos with me of Doug. And I got to say, bro, like this is even prior to, to you know, maybe the beginning of some of my juvenile, but this is before any prison shit. You were kind of um, the segue into a lot of that. Like, I, I got some understanding of some shit through you, through some of the stuff you did. Like, we didn't really know about homemade tattoo guns. I hadn't been to the joint yet. But Doug was kind of like, he was sharing a lot of this information with Esteban. And uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know, it's a cool. trip, dude. Like, I don't think people really understand when you send a kid to youth authority and ya and what were you up in preston where were you at no i didn't go to press i was gonna go there i wanted uh-huh. to go because they had a sweet football team but um <laughs> i went to it was in stockton california there's three institutions there mm-hmm. oh so i went to oh close to start with then i went back to ventura which is near yts it's kind of that that level and then went back to dewitt nelson and got a dewitt nelson um but they're like this 
fenced institution with, you know, 15 dorms around it in a football field. And right. so I just, I did sports. I was a wrestler, baseball player, football player, broke all the swim records. Boxing? Yeah, there was a boxing. I fought ABF, so I got Amateur Boxing Federation through that. Where did you get your uh, athletic ability from? I don't know. I just grew up a jock. My dad never came to one of my games. My mom did. So I just had that sports, you know. I'm 52 what? now, and I'm still jacked. You know yeah! I'm not going to quit, dog. Don't make me take off my shirt. Oh, oh don't you know worry. What I'm saying? It's don't like, worry. Hey, did your mom had fun with it. Did your mom's, was your mom's dad athletic? Um, he was actually golden gloves in the Royal Navy. He was Scott from Scotland, so he he was a boxer. I fuck see so, that. You see and that? My dad yeah, was just me. He just wanted to fight everybody. So I, some, there's ass. something about like if you went through the youth system, YTS, YA, yeah. yeah, and you were getting down, like you you turn into a different type of a guy than most people. Do you I really don't have fights? a problem. Yeah. Just, just physically handling some shit is automatic, bro. Right. And you really just become like, I don't know. Doug, Doug's probably one of the toughest motherfuckers I know. Dude, it was in the blinds. People would just rush you. You know, I got rushed by like six or seven guys once, and they got me good that day. But I got them all fucking back one one at a time, individually over a week. Hey, what's 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 <laughs> heads up, man? You know what I'm saying? I just yeah. didn't go down. I didn't want to go down. Like, hey, what's what the like? secret? To survive and getting rushed by six dudes, like how do you? What do you do? You just kind of <laughs> ball, no up, ball up, Dude, ball up, ball up. Stitches. <laughs> I mean, I got so much stuff. It's just being, you know, there was fights I had where you go in the blinds and it's a ten minute fight to the death. Right. And wow. it just sucks. Like it's different in there. You get. I, you get Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply getting hit so many times and you're not getting hit like ufc you know what i'm saying it's like you're getting broken everything and nose and it's just i've had my nose done twice like i came out a mess but i think that's what lucky's talking about where you know i was i thought i was so hard when i got out but i wasn't which they don't understand that it's like you know i try to play hard when i was younger like i was badass but they don't understand what like hard is like hard right. i mean they do because they've been in, i'm not saying they don't Right. But I'm just saying that after a while, I didn't want to be hard anymore. I wanted to be a good all-American kid and go to SC and, you know what I'm saying? Get my Just be normal because I got fucking tired of just being angry. So I think kids grafted to that. Like, how did you something about this guy, you know? How did you move? So then what's the chance? First of all, what were you studying at USC? Film. I Film. Wanted, I actually wanted to make this life story. So I went into um, just GE stuff, trying to go to the School of Business there, which was tough. So then I transferred into the, the cinema program and started film writing. And then um, so a story came out of me on LA Weekly. Someone found out in there when I was writing the story, and it went cover page, LA Weekly. I'm like, shit, great, now that everyone knows that you know I killed somebody. Not only did I kill somebody, it was that whole just dark scene. Right. So I remember Esteban coming to me with his dad um, Berto, and they were, I went to his dad's house and they were reading this article, like what the fuck to do. And I'm like, it just, you know, it just sucks. Cause I've really tried to get my life together and prove to people that I am normal and what happened to me was very unfortunate. And honestly, at this point, I'm just tired of fucking trying to, ex you know, explain myself to people. So right, Doug. the That's last right. 10 years, I've gotten another bachelor's degree which I got a 3.98 and four course director awards from Full Sail University. In what? Just, um, it's a media, well, it's graphic design, media design, which covers web, animation, 
print, everything, like branding. And then I just got another master's degree, which I graduated Val Dictorian from Full Sail two weeks ago. So, and the master's that, is in what? The master's in media design. Great. So that's, that's a four awesome, point man. Yeah. So I'm done. Like that, yeah. that killed me this last year. That was so hard to do. Um, what make what tell tell all the kids out in fucking audio land what makes a master so hard to fucking do? Because you're a guy that came out of YA, fought, fucking, you know, stood up against a a, a, a predator essentially, uh, almost got creamed by the system, survived it all, and at the end of all this, blood, sweat, and tears, fucking bone fragments, and fucking whatever, Doug White stands up and says the masters almost killed me. What was it that was so tough about the masters? You know, it's, I'm not, t- a lot of people are like, yeah, you don't need education, that piece of paper. And I, you know, I totally agree with that in some respects. There's a lot of, I have su- successful friends that are just never could get past 10th grade. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, and they're millionaires, they're billionaires. It doesn't, that doesn't define you. What I, the reason I did it was because I just, I think it's just another notch on my belt, not to get back at the system and, and say, fuck you. You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it kind of is for me. I'm just going to be straight out with you. Yeah. There's another, and not only that, I love my career. If you saw my office right now, which you can't, I got six screens in front of me. I'm doing development for this new company. I'm not going to put them on the air, but it's a pretty big project. And, and it makes me feel good about myself to actually roll with people that have been in the system their whole life and look at my past. Right. Like, go figure. You know, but why did the masters right. almost kill you? Because it was nonstop studying. There was times I was on my office floor crying like a little girl, <laughs> like deadlines. And now that having children, going to football games, being a media director for a high school, filming all the sports stuff for them, full-time work with other clients. I mean, I, I just produced a television series for this other network in Dallas. That Shit took- almost mentally broke you? God damn, dude. I almost, it got me sober. Let's just say that. I'm wow. sober now because there was times where I was just Adderall or whatever I could to keep going to do it. You have no idea that when you ask for something, be careful because right. some people go to the extent to do it no matter what you got to do. When I got a huge nut and a beautiful home and family, you got to su- supply for that stuff. Right. You know, you just go to, you just do start to do things and you spin out and you don't realize the program without that program first, it's going to get you. I think Lucky can attest to that. Oh, I'm you sure know. he can. Oh, I, oh, I bet you he can. I've seen that dude just rise like cottage cheese, man, or cream. Right. You know and that mm. can come. That can get to you. So you got to stay humbled. You got to stay prayed up. You got to stay, you know. Well, Doug, we yeah. we we've certainly, you know, one thing is that as adults, listen, man, I love you, Doug. You're my brother, bro. For life, dude. For my life, bro. You are one person I love, man. And I, I'd show up for you however I could ever. But what yeah. I do want to say is, like, man, you, you, me, and you have also shared. Um, I think out of me and me and Doug's little group, yeah, somewhat, yeah. Me and Doug were kind of the only two that kind of got busted, you know, out of our little crew, right, Doug? Pretty much. And so we kind of had like a we we kind of had like this connection between us, but we've we've also man um, we have a bond through different ways. But me and Doug have fucking struggled, man. Like Doug's watched me struggle. Yes, dog. And because we know what it's like when we get to that level and we can't talk about it, and you know, I I feel my heart bleeds when Lucky goes down. Well, you know, I'm sure that likewise, I mean, you don't yeah. see your friends successful. I'm not a hater, dude. I don't want to see people. I want to see all my friends just blow up. Well, you know what? I have people that tell me the same thing they tell you, Doug. And if they go, man, if you could see what I see, why would you do that? Like you got to. And I don't see it in me, but I see it in you, Doug. Like I, I, I see it in you, bro. Like, um, and that's why I mesh with you, bro. Like. I'm too in it, bro. Like I don't know, man. But you're you're just a lot like me, and me and you have, uh, you know, me and you have gone through a lot of different shit, man. And you've been there for me. You know what? Always listening to Doug's story and listening to what Doug is talking about. It's something he said for whatever reason keyed off inside of me, which was he said, "I want to prove 
that I'm normal or that I want to show that I'm not some crazy whatever. Yes, I had this dark past and this da 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 da, da. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's a strange frame for him to put around it. Like, I know that um, going to YEA and the reason why you went to YEA has some sort of aspect of, like, yeah, this is a different background story. But I'm almost, con- I'm almost like, you know, how are you going to deal with the fact that, to me, that's not a shameful past. It's not my past, so I'm not going to be able to say anything about it. You went through it. I didn't. So I'm not trying to be presumptuous, Doug. But I'm also kind of saying, like, that's not shameful to me. Why you went, what happened, what you went through to me means you are more than normal, that you're resilient, and that... Mm-hmm. How much work have you had to do to say fuck that? That I don't. There's no shame. I was 14, and I heard you say I have to take responsibility for what I did, and I kind of understand because I've been through some some programs where you gotta take ownership, right, to a certain extent. There's another part of me that's saying maybe part of your ownership is realizing like there's nothing wrong with you, bro. There's nothing wrong mm. with you at all. Zero. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I'm not saying that to blow smoke up your ass. I'm listening to a story about a 14-year-old who was on his own, who had to do whatever he had to do, went through the system, found a positive aspect in the system, even though all the elements were kind of against him, tried to work it out with his parents, which he had plenty of reason to be resentful, but at the same time was like, fuck, what's life? And now here you are, a parent, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, that's not a twisted story to me. That's not Charles Manson, like, or that's mm-hmm. not like some fucked up story. That's a story of a guy yeah. that, you know, was given a fucking weird hand and he he made the best of it. Well, I think. Um, thanks for saying that. By the way, I really appreciate it. It makes you know, I at the end of the day, I I, it, I can't take back like what I did, so I don't feel guilty about it. Right. You know, that guy's soul and whatever he has to deal with, guy, that, that's on you, dude. I'm not like that. But the simple fact is, is, um, you know, I wasn't ready to, now I'm ready to go out in the world. I want to talk to kids about it. You know, I've done scared straight programs. I've done a lot of outreach and I, and I stopped that for a while and I focused on myself and my family because that just happens. Right. But now I want to come back and Polly Shore did a documentary about his life and he actually took a 30 minute segment and it was like, okay, and then here's Doug. And it's kind of shocking because you got this fun life and all of a sudden there's me in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And I watched this thing right before his mom, Mitzi, passed away. I went to see her and watched the, the demo and I was in tears. And it hit me right there that I do have a story to tell. I have yes. to go out there and share yes, this with people. I have to. Hell fucking you know, yeah. This world Absolutely, is going in two man. different directions right now. Yep. Okay. There's the, the world that says this is okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a world that I believe if this happened to my child, I'd be in prison again. Right. Period. Right. Yep. Period. right. I'm not going to back down from that shit. If you want right. to go into a girl's bathroom and cross yourself, that's, that's your deal. I'm not saying I don't like that or I'm not going to fight against it. What I am saying is that I still think this is a huge issue coming up. And, it's a, and a lot of stuff's going to kick off soon. Again, like what happened to me to kids. And they're not going to be ready for it. Because if the government's saying you can do this, this, and this, and this. And, but it was so wrong for me to, to take somebody out when I was a kid. There's some fucked up shit to talk about. I agree with that. You know what, man? I really agree with that because I'll tell you something. There's a lot of shit that happened to me that I kind of just was like, well, that's just life or that's just me or or I minimized. I minimized how fucked up it was, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When I I look down at my two-year-old daughter now, it hits me just how fucked up that shit was and I would never permit certain things to be around my baby at all. Hands down, right? So I'm thinking about you, and I'm saying, you have kids. At what point when you're looking at your children, are you going, Jesus fucking Christ, I can't even believe I'm still here? Yeah, I mean, I'm different. I'm so loving to them. I talk to them. I, you know, I went recently to, to Santa Fe. I lived in New Mexico, and I work with, um, you know, the Native Americans out there, and the, the whole thing with Lakota. And it taught me about the seasons and the spirits. And I really wanted to get in touch with that hurt inside of me. So they taught me, this one guy, um, Omaqua, he taught me how to look at my, me as a kid, Dougie, 
you know, and I wish I had that when I was a kid, when I was going through all that pain. And I went and I started meditating. I learned how to chill out and meditate in the spirits. And all of a sudden it was like me. And some of my friends think I'm crazy and whacked out now, but so be it. But it helped me to look at myself as a kid who I look at my little son, Preston, who's seven, about right. that age. And I started just bawling for hours and it came out. that I, That's what I really wanted when I was a kid. Right. And that healing started to happen and take place. Um, right. So I think that needs to happen first before you can go out and fix other people and help people yes. and tell them that that inner child is literally the problem that people still have with drug addictions, with relapses, with, you know, all that stuff. I mean, go look at yourself for a bit and just really meditate and look at yourself and look at Incredible. that kid and talk to him. Say, hey, Lucky, how you doing? Like, talk to yourself. Absolutely, like, bro. Get I on think... that plane and then shit will start to change in your life and open up. I agree, man, and and we kind of like I've downplayed. I mean, fucking child service doesn't come into your house and remove the kids unless something's up. Real you fucked up, saying? yeah. And I downplay that and fostering that, but but you're right. And the shit that comes along with that was always at the tail end of my using, or always at the. It's hand in hand, bro. It's you know, but. But Doug, man, I tell you, man, I sit here and I listen to you, man, and um, and when you say stuff like uh, I'm gen- I'm loving with my kids or like that's some surprise, like regardless of the crime you did, bro, you're you're a loving motherfucker. You're a loyal, loving, funny motherfucker, bro, hey, and you're a great dad, bro. You're, you're a good man. My dad was stone cold his whole life. I didn't get it. Raised with a silver spoon and. I'm just different, and I think it either goes generational gaps or I just some bad shit happening when I was younger. I didn't deserve it. I don't know. Right, right, right. right. But I didn't lose it, you know. Well, you know what, and I and and I also sense like with everybody, like to a certain extent, when you've made some mistakes or you've done certain things, you wonder, am I fucked up? Am I underneath it all because I did X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. Am I broken? And I'm I'm just lying to myself that I'm I'm trying to have a different kind of life now. I know I've thought that about myself. Uh, I think we all question ourselves. Am I well, really damn twisted? I can right. tell you some Vegas stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just glad I'm sober now. That's all I <laughs> <laughs> it's man, bro. Yeah, I just I hear what you're saying, Jim. right? Because we we did the Menendez brother story, right? Uh-huh. And those dudes. Can, and when you read the book and you read about what they said their dad was doing, at first, at the surface level, you think like, oh, that's just some, you know, attorney shtick to defend against murder. But then you look at how old the boys were. And the and, kind of stuff that they're describing. Yeah. And, and you're like, what you're the like, fuck? what? And then you and then you turn to like the Michael Jackson story, right? And those kids and they're fucking they said no, he didn't do anything. And then later when he has a son, he looks at his son and he realized, fuck, man, that was really fucked up what I went through. Oh, and, well, hear hear this. Go the ahead. Guy that I that I killed on his wall. He used to manage Parliament Funkadelic, and he started with Michael Jackson. So if you walk into his living room, Whoa. he had Michael Jackson's gloves and platters on the walls, all platinum records. Think about so go it. stop wow. and think about what happened to Michael Jackson, and go look at this guy and say, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." Was There's this was this one of the fucking right? That's so why that's I, the stuff I was involved with and dealing with where this guy's like, I'm going to make you famous just like uh, Michael Jackson. Whoever. Truth is, man, um, you could have saved God knows what you probably did to Michael Jackson, the reason why Michael Jackson ended up the way he Right, was. right. So we don't know. Right, right. No, but you know what? It's all part of this sort of weird, like, scene that's going on. And I, you know, I'll tell you straight up. My wife, because my daughter, she's cute. I mean, we're parents, so we think our kid's cute, but I think she really is. My wife sometimes, every once in a while, floats this idea, like, maybe we should have her do some modeling. And I tell her categorically, fuck no. There's no way I'm having my baby on a set with a bunch of adults that want to shoot kitty shows. I know that there might be, like, one fucking Mr. Rogers who's normal motherfucker, but for every one of him, there's ten weird fucks hanging around with lights and fucking smoke machines that just can't wait to fucking do some shit to a kid. My wife's like, well, I'll be on the set. I go, yeah, but you ain't got eyes in the back of your head. Yeah. And I'm not, I I watch some of this Nickelodeon shit and all the weird shit that goes on (laughs) and how precocious these young kids are encouraged to act older and all this shit. And I realized, man, this is real fucked up. 
I mean, let me ask you a question, Doug. Do you watch some of this stuff on TV? And do you do you does your does the hair on the back of your neck sometimes stand up? Or when you're in a situation and you see adults interacting with kids or teens, do you ever have a radar that goes off like, "Hey, that ain't that's weird. What's going on over there? I don't like it." Yeah, I would call that shit right at the top, and that's why I don't have my kids in Hollywood at this point. Right. Um, my son integrated as a quarterback leader. Yeah. Um, I don't want to subject him to the Hollywood. You know, or I'd have him in child acting, and making money off him. There's something wrong with that. I think. I uh, agree. I just don't. I've seen Hollywood in its darkest times and behind mm. the scenes and the couch casting shit that is real. And yep. if you say it isn't real, then you're full of it. So right, just, right, right. I'm just saying half the most amazing actors in Hollywood, you know what I'm talking about. You know what you did. Yep. Right, yep. Right. Yep. right, Randy Quaid. Or whatever you want to call it. That's I just, right. I'm not part of that anymore. Yeah, Randy Quaid, we know what you did. <laughs> That's just a Shut joke. Up. That's just a joke. <laughs> um, hey, Doug, what? You know what? Um, through <laughs> through recently, um, uh, you know, man, you were you were going through some things, and and I wanted you to talk a little bit because I had shared, I had shared with you, Mahan, you know, kind of what you had shared with me about the Native American Indians, and that, you know, you're you're somebody that stood in one place, you know, with the with the Bible at a point in time, and and and, and listen, on this show, we're never downing anybody's beliefs, you know. Um, but mostly, mostly, but, but you, you said that the native American Indians really have helped you through this transition of where you're kind of at today. Like you really got to, some of it you just talked about, you got to break through. You know, I think when I had a problem with it, when I called you last year, a couple of years ago when George Floyd kicked off, you know, yes, uh, bro, all of a yes, sudden this yes. nation just started splitting and I think it had to split. But I went through an experience where I was in school and I was doing this project to city brand the city in Wakefield and it just happened to be where Wake Forest was and I got into this project where I was supposed to make this Wake Forest all beautiful and stuff and bang, here comes the research. And the research was um, all the decimated Native Americans that happened over hundreds of years. I mean, right. from this general to this general to this general, they killed so many families and children and enslave them and in camps to take their land. And all of a sudden, here's this plantation built on a university, Wake Forest, right. that was was built on slavery. So I'm sitting here going, I can't fucking do this. I was in tears huh. in the spirit, and I've always had these weird spirits hitting me. I don't know what it is. But these were Native American spirits. They were, they were coming to me, and it was like, it was just a calling. And it, it literally changed my life. So I dropped out of school for a minute. And luckily, this teacher came to me and said, look, just tell the truth. Don't drop out. You got a 4.0. You're the best student we have, blah, blah, blah. So I took a month off and I went back and I and I did this video and this story about the history and how slavery has been, just been from the beginning of time, from the Romans or before that, from the Egyptians mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Right, I'm not right. saying we have to undermine that. All I'm saying is how dare fucking Americans or Republicans come in and say that you're taking our land or this is our wall. And this motherfucker, you took this shit from... America period from Native Americans and killed. I mean, the, I'm part Jewish and that got that was a what million. I'm sorry, six, six million. million, six million. Oh my man. god! And that's the, not including the the Native Spain. Americans have it so fucking bad that how could you sit there and get your feelings hurt over politics now when the simple fact is is this is not in your fucking land? Uh, yeah, not like that. Right. You didn't even build the land. Then you went and got the slaves yeah. and did this. So here's a white guy coming out saying. How do you really feel? You know, right. What I really feel yeah. is that this isn't our yeah. fucking country. You need to shut the fuck up and be respectful. Um, because we bro. stole that shit from somebody. Now, That's why don't you it. go back a couple hundred years and think about it? Right. So this is Doug, you should be president, brother. I love you. It's the truth, though. You know what I'm saying? It is, and a lot of ignorant motherfuckers come out and they have this pride and this right. But the truth is, is that's not even your right or pride, dude. You right. should be here humbled and under you know, a spirit that's Mother Earth and not your own conquering spirit that hurts people and kills families. And so helping motherfuckers the way that your ass, your, your ass was helped when your family got here, you know? Yeah, and I know hatred. I've been involved with hatred. You know, I hated a lot of people when I got locked up from all races. And I've been ignorant and I, and I fully throw myself on the mercy of the court because I don't want to sit in front of a spirit one day, the mighty God of everything, and say, 
you know what, I was hateful, whatever. I made my fair, fair mistake, you know, mistakes, and I can I confess up to that. But it's all about education, man. You go educate yourself, go do the research. You're gonna find out real quick that mm-hmm. this country mm-hmm. and nobody owns this shit. And all your shit that you built, your rights and your religions is is out the window to me. So I literally believe in doing right by others and just being a good human being. And, you know, again, I don't put down anything if that works for you and that's your thing. As long as it helps people and you pray for other people, that's fine. But I think we have a lot to do with America, man. It's still to come. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, I think we got a lot to do. Uh, We have to have a wholesale change in the system. I mean, I think the system has gone as far as it can go. And I think we got to rethink how we think of ourselves. We got to think about how we rethink what belongs to what and who belongs to who. Mm -hmm. We certainly can't send back. I don't want to send back the Doug Whites of the world, right? Doug White's here. He put in his bid. He's educated. Uh, His experience is valid. And yeah, there was rape, stealing, plunder in the past. And I don't know what we can. We can't undo that piece. But I think going forward, we've got to find a way for us to start thinking of ourselves as as one. Really start thinking of ourselves as 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 one people, regardless of race and not in any Pollyanna way that sweeps shit under the rug. But to say that, you know, everyone like one of the founding fathers is red. One of the founding fathers is black. One of the founding fathers is a woman. I mean, all of these people have contributed to get us here and we got to stop pretending like there's such a thing as a separation between us and one person is entitled to all the spoils of victory war whatever you want to call it i mean even the greatest quarterback needs a good fucking line Mm -hmm. otherwise ain't gonna be able to do shit Mm -hmm. so i I think it's starting to change you know as of last year the year before it's starting to you know people are waking their eyes i uh, think we have to stop pretending it's just at the beginning I think well, I agree with you. Now, if you think about in you know technology and stuff, you know we're only three hundred years out from when it was normal to beat people with sticks and shit and tell them like right. you know we're only three hundred years out from that. Right. Right. We just got computers. We just have the internet, and so we're gonna have a lot of holdover um, residual hate and ignorance that's gonna persist. But the issue is, is that. I honestly, this, man, I think we got to take this fucking pedophilia shit seriously. I mean, the way we're acting right now, we keep acting like it's one-offs. Like, oh, it's just a few bad apples. First, it was the Catholic Church. Then it's the Boy Scouts. I mean, come on, bro. Right. Right? Then it's... Epstein. Then it's... Then it's Epstein, who's, like, connected to everybody. Uh, Epstein was, like, the LB was the Epstein of... Boys in LA, like, right? Wow. It was crazy. It's insanity. <laughs> no safe haven. There isn't. There is not. You gotta actually, and and that's why I'm saying, I don't even believe in being reasonable and trying to have a conversation. We've got to start putting a zero level and say this is the standard of humanity in this country. If you fall below that, you don't get a seat at the table. Yeah, Sorry, 100%. I don't have to listen to you. Yep. Yeah, you, I you like can that. you can tell me what you think about X, Y, and Z. It doesn't matter because you're not a human. Mm. You're below the standard. We yeah. got to start enforcing standards. I, I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah. It's just evil and good, man. It's gonna take time because they're hidden. You gotta mm-hmm. dig them out. I'm ready to dig. dig them out. I'm says. ready dig to dig them out. Dig them out. Yeah. What's on the? What's uh, Doug? First, let me say this too, Doug. That I don't believe that you, Chumahan, Sean Schwartzman. I don't believe that we're we go through this these experiences we have for nothing. I think that when you make it through, your your story is valuable. You, it is, Doug. And I think that your your story, you do need to share it, man. Yeah. And it has the power to help people, bro. It's yeah. helping yeah. me today, you know? I will, but I've just been involved, like, with, like, I think Brady Sinellis, who wrote Less Than Zero, mm-hmm. or American Psycho, mm-hmm. is that, yeah, he, he got a hold of my script through somebody, and... Went and tried to sell it to one of my friends, Tucker Tooley. And Tucker called me and said, Doug, there's this whole movie about you. I'm like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, great. You know, and, of course, he's not going to make it because he knows the real story because their side of the story was bullshit. Mm-hmm. But in any case, you know, I, I need to step up and I do need to make that thing. I need it. 
Hey, man. Uh, fuck these people. Uh, uh, Juman. Fuck, fuck these Juman. people. Can we try and help them make this movie? Of course. But what I'm going to tell Doug is, fuck these people. This is the point. People that have got a story to tell like you, Doug, and, and yep. all that stuff, all of the people in the establishment, the old, all that bullshit, they don't want to make those stories. And you know what? They don't like those stories, and they're going to only make these fucking stories. You know what? Leave them in the dust. Fuck it. We Just yeah. make it ourselves. And I've, tell I've these motherfuckers. I've actually signed deals, and they didn't go farther past you know the pitch because I think people will, deep down, you know, they don't want to hear the truth. And right. We're well, stuck in a fucking... We'll make it, Doug. I think together we can raise enough money to shoot and make this film. I, I mean, I'm I'm tired of Alec Baldwin being in fucking westerns, just like uh, old yeah. Blue Eyes said. Who needs to hear that fucker? Yeah. Well, I want to make think, a real story. Let's go. I think go. timing's everything. You know, with me, education-wise, maybe making sure. some more money to help finance that. Sure. Maybe even Esteban, because he's right. just a right. cinematographer Maybe now. we all come together. I still think I'm a little better at shooting than him. But well, you, know, you, well, you are. Shoot. But, but I'm but, setting up a boxing match between the two of you. Yeah. It's going to be what? pay-per-view. Both of you might be, and both of you do it. But what if all of us are supposed to be connected all to tell this story, Doug? Maybe that's it's part timing. of what we all are back together for. All right. All right. I oh, love you, man, talk. dude. Thank you for coming in, bro. Yeah. I know you don't speak about this. I know that how you are, Doug. And I appreciate you coming and, and trusting us enough to share with us, brother. I love you, man. You, your Who's family. Who's my guy over there? He hasn't said one word the whole time. Sure. I, I've said a couple of things, man. Wave, wave. There, he's, up, waving. he's waving. Hey, he's waving. I like yeah. him, dude. Hey, he's Doug. Yeah. You know what, bro? I got to tell you, man, your story is um, amazing. And I think that... By you starting to talk to people, I think that you're going to help uh, even more people out there. And I think the act of what you did is fucked up and, and you know, results that happened. You saved people. Um, that's that's the truth about it. Yeah. Hey, you know and what? I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about it and respect to you, brother. And uh, Doug, you. Uh, we'll do it again. Doug, I want I want you to really understand just how high praise that is because your story was so impactful that it made it through a dense wall of THC that's inside Schwartz's brain. <laughs> and he was able to hear it. So that means something. That's hot. <laughs> Doug, what, uh, if people, um, real quickly, Doug, if people want to find you, um, where can they find you at? They want to look at some digital media work getting done. Where do they go? My, my website is DougWhiteCreative.com. Okay. And my contact number is just on the contact page. Gotcha. Gotcha. Kind of my portfolio of what I do. We will make sure uh, as we craft the post, I'll deal with you, but we'll get it right and we'll tag and we'll make everything so people can find you. Doug, thank you again, brother, for coming on, man. Uh, anytime, anywhere, and let's have let's have a further discussion about this uh, making of your film. Dude. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Go ahead. What you All got? I right, love you guys, man. All right. I want to give a big <laughs> shout out to uh, DougWhiteCreative.com. Yep. If you want your website to stop looking like shit, go talk to that guy. He'll <laughs> get you all set up. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to my wife, Sarah, Baby Tigra, and, and my law firm, Ovando Bowen LLP. We wear braids to court. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean? Sean at Movemento.media. <laughs> website coming soon. Okay. Awesome. Hardluckshow.com. Hardluckshow.com. Hard oh, yeah. Hardluckshow.com. And uh, that's it to the hey. family, my wife, Megan, City of Santa Monica. Yeah. And I'm shout out to uh, my boy Doug. Thanks again yeah. for coming out. Yeah. Shout out to Esteban listening somewhere. Uh, Supermaxhardware.com. <laughs> Soul Assassins. Cookies Vibes. Right. And always listen to the Hard Luck Show Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Right. Doug, love you, man. Thank have you. A great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, have a good one. Like we do about this time. Adios, amigos.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.